Um, building an indie business in the center of venture capital. I am Alex Edmonds. Um, this is a different episode of the podcast. I have Tim Notzel on the podcast, and we're going to be having a discussion about freelancing. Um, so let's get into it. So Tim, um, you have a very unique story. You were able to grow your solo consulting business from zero dollars in 2019 to 480,000 a year in 2023. How'd you do that? Yeah. So, um, like you said, I, I started freelance consulting full time in 2019. I, um, basically, um, had been leading product design of the startup and the CEO at the time decided, decided he wanted to pivot the business in a direction that I wasn't super excited about. Um, and so I kind of found myself in the middle of a job search. Um, and I just, I kept not finding, um, you know, any jobs I was excited to dive into full time. Um, you know, as, as I'm sure a lot of listen, of your listeners know, startups are, you know, fast paced, high stress environments. And so if you're, if you're going to do it, you got to be excited about the business. Um, and I had consulted, you know, a little bit on and off, but mainly just side projects. Um, and my, my fiance at the time, now my wife, um, was basically like, you know, why don't you just, um, freelance full time? And, you know, initially I was a little bit skeptical about it because I knew, um, you know, I didn't have a ton of, of savings beyond what, you know, I had saved for the wedding and for, for a house. And so I knew I was really going to have to find clients quickly, um, and have them be, you know, relatively high paying. I didn't have a ton of time to, um, to sort of mess up. Um, and, and so what I ended up doing, um, was after, after a bunch of trial and error, mainly focusing on growing through one-on-one conversations. Um, and I found that that far and away was a much more efficient way to find, um, you know, high-end kind of top-tier clients who, you know, could afford to pay premium rates, who could, um, you know, give really good feedback, ask smart questions, who had interesting, you know, web development and design projects, and, um, you know, worked substantially better than going on sites like Upwork or um, trying to, you know, do the social media thing. Um, And so really, for me, it became about, um, you know, how do I turn this into something repeatable, um, where I can, um, you know, meet new clients whenever I need to, um, where, you know, I'm, I'm confident I know how to land them. um, And, and that kind of thing. Um, and ultimately, um, you know, that's what, that's what I had been coaching freelancers, new freelancers and, and freelancers who are growing their businesses to do at freelancegps.com. Okay. Interesting. Um, so freelance GPS is your consulting business to help people grow their own freelance business, Correct. Yeah. So, so I, my main consulting business, um, I work with, um, SaaS startups and e-commerce companies on web development and, um, UX design and conversion rate optimization. Um, but in the last two years, I've also been coaching, um, you know, other tech professionals on how to grow their freelance businesses. Um, and that's what I do at freelancegps.com. Okay, cool. Um, so 
Why do you think one-on-one conversations are the best approach to building a successful freelance business? Yeah. So I think, you know, when you're thinking about marketing and growing anything, right, um, whether it's a freelance business or something else, you've got to look at um, the marketing channels um, that you could potentially use on a couple of spectrums, right? One of them is just how crowded the channel is. Um, you know, the more crowded a channel it is, is the more you're going to have to compete for um, everyone's, you know, time and, and attention, right? The harder it is to get the, the people who you need to pay attention to do so. Um, and um, ultimately, the, the lower the level of trust there is if, if a channel is really crowded. Um, and so when you look at something like Upwork, right, anybody can join, which means everybody does. Um, that means, you know, the level of trust on a platform is relatively low. Um, you know, the average advice is that you should be, um, you know, applying to somewhere between 25 and 50 gigs a week. If, if you're, um, you know, trying to use Upwork, right, that's extremely time intensive. Um, and, you know, it, what that what that does is it, it drives rates down. Um, it makes it harder to close deals, right? Which is obviously a challenge if you're if you're a freelancer, right? You can say the same thing about, um, you know, social media or starting a podcast or whatever else, right? Like um, all of those things can work. And I don't want to sit here and say like, hey, they they don't work, but it is a question of how how many people are doing it, right? How much um, are you competing? right? Um, for, for people's attention, right? And obviously, like with social media, um, you're not just competing against other freelancers, right? You're competing with every marketer and content creator out there on the internet um, for your client's attention, right? So it's it's not an especially effective way, um, unless you've already got a, a large following of the right people. Um, and so that's one spectrum, right? Just how crowded the channel is. The other spectrum is how much time, money, and effort does it take to um, you know, use that channel, um, both upfront and on, a, on an ongoing basis, right? So something like, um, starting and growing a blog takes, you know, six months at a minimum to start to see any kind of traction, um, unless, unless you've already got one. Um, and even then there's no guarantee that you've got the, you know, the right audience to sell to, um, you know, Advertising is obviously expensive, um, and you've got to cut through the noise there. Um, it's a you know a marketing skill in in and of itself. Um, and you know, using the Upwork example, right? That expert advice of of creating twenty five to fifty proposals a week, right? I don't know anybody who could do that um, and have those be any kind of quality um, in under like twenty five hours a week, right? Um, and so. Um, what I discovered very quickly was that, um, you know, those types of channels just weren't going to work for me. Um, and, you know, what I needed to do was find a way to meet high value clients, um, you know, in something like a few hours a week um, and and to do it quickly. Um, and what I found was um, identifying where the sort of, you know, the hubs were in, in my area and online, right, where my ideal clients were hanging out, whether that's, um, you know, industry meetups or Slack groups or co-working spaces, startup accelerators, that kind of thing. Um, and also figuring out who already knew my ideal clients, um, which also oftentimes is other freelancers, 
right? Particularly those in um, complementary roles, right? I'm, I do a lot of web development. So marketing freelancers um, are a fantastic source of leads because, you know, they're already working with my ideal clients, but they don't compete with me. Um, so I found that that kind of an approach was just incredibly efficient, right? And you could you could meet a new client um, in, you know, a handful of conversations um, and, you know, have a new client after, you know, five hours of work rather than 50 or 100 or 150 hours of work um, and have that client, you know, be substantially higher quality than you would find if you, you know, use one of those other methods. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, my biggest problem is that I'm having trouble finding high quality clients because I'll go to a party and talk to someone and they're saying, oh, I'm starting like a bakery online. Well, I already know that that's going to be super low margin. So there's not going to be a lot of room for me to charge $50 an hour, which is how much it would cost to make it worth it for me. Um, so yeah. Um, so that leads me to my next question is what are the main things freelancers need to focus on to grow their business successfully? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, which is, um, client quality, right? Um, I think the thing that separates, um, you know, successful freelancers who are making really good money from everybody else is, far and away just how good their clients are, right? Um, successful freelancers work with clients who can afford to pay, pay premium rates, um, who are, you know, relatively well informed about the work um, that the, those freelancers are doing, right? So that they can ask smart questions, give good feedback, right? Um, you know, minimize all the handholding that you might otherwise have to do. Um, and, you know, generally with clients who are um, kind of the right size, um, you know, big enough that they have some level of sophistication, but small enough that they still move quickly and there's not like tons of bureaucracy and red tape, right? Um, and so what I found um, works really well, and this isn't a hard and fast rule, but um, what I found works really well in terms of an ideal client is, you know, like a SaaS startup or an e-commerce company between about five and 50 employees. Um, and, and if you think about it, that makes sense, right? At, at five employees, they are um, either cash flow positive or they've got funding from somewhere. That's a you know pretty clear indicator that they can af afford to pay premium rates, right? Um, both of those types of companies, e-commerce companies and SaaS companies live and breathe technology. Um, which means, you know, they're re relatively well-informed. They're going to require substantially less handholding than like a mom and pop business. Um, and they're still small enough, um, that you can sell in quickly and there's not tons of, of red tape. Right. So I think that the question, you know, you've got to answer first is who are those ideal clients for, for you? Um, and I think if you're, you know, if you're a web developer, if you're a UX designer, um, Probably it's going to look a lot like what I just outlined, right? Those are going to be your best clients. Um, if, if you're doing something else, um, it, it might be a little bit different, right? But you want to know who you're going after uh, and why um, and be confident in that before you start doing your marketing um, and, and start trying to meet clients. Um, because if you end up with like 
uh, a mom and pop business, right? Chances are they won't be able to afford you. They may be less informed, right? If you try to go after really large businesses, like you try to go after a Fortune 500, um, you can set, spend you know months or years trying to sell into those businesses unless you know somebody. Um, and you know that's that's not really a recipe for success. Um, so I think that's the first point, right? Is just making sure you know who your ideal clients are. Um, and then, you know, figuring out the path to meeting them, right? Where are those folks hanging out? Who already knows them? Who could introduce you? Um, and, and having a plan to, um, you know, start to um, infiltrate, if you will, um, but start to join those, those networks, right? Um, and, and start to sort of plug in and build relationships, um, I think, is, is the next most important thing. Um, and, you know, the, I think the nice thing is if you do that well, um, you don't have to do cold pitches. You don't have to um, really sell that hard. Um, you're just having conversations and building relationships. And then people will kind of raise their hand and say, you know, hey, Alex, I actually have um, something that you'd be perfect for. Um, and, you know, you can you can kind of take it from there. And that's when you put your sales hat on. Mm hmm. So it could be something as simple as like following them on Twitter or just talking to them in the Slack channel, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I'd recommend, um, you know, if you're, if you're looking for, um, for work on Slack channels, right, um, find local industry Slack channels, particularly those in like complementary industries, right? So, um, you know, I'm a member of a bunch of um, marketing Slack channels um, and design Slack channels um, in and around Boston, where I live. Um, and those are great because they're pretty tight knit, um, but they are also, you know, focused on something that I'm not directly focused on. Um, and that means that those those folks oftentimes will say, you know, just put a call out to Slack channel like, hey, does anybody know a, a good web developer? Um, and, um, sometimes some people say, Hey, you got to talk to Tim. If not, like I literally just like raise my hand and say, Hey, I actually do this. Um, let's talk. Right. And I, and I tend to be either the only one or one of two or three. Um, and you compare that to like the, you know, 50 plus proposals that the average gig gets on Upwork. Right. And that just means inherently, um, my close rate's going to go way up because either <laughs> either it's, you know, I'm the only one competing or I'm just one of a couple. Um, and so that kind of thing can work very, very well. Um, but I also recommend, you know, if you're, at least if you're in a fairly, you know, large metro area, get out of the building, um, you know, like get get away from your screen and go, you know, hang out at a, at a co-working space. Um, you know, a lot of them have... Um, you know, like happy hours and that kind of thing you can start to build some relationships. Um, LinkedIn is also a fantastic way um, to start, you know, finding freelancers in your area who are complimentary and having conversations with them. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, I, I definitely recommend taking a little bit more of an active pro approach than just following um, people on Twitter um, but you know, what you really want to do is start conversations. Um, and I think in those cases you can do, you can do two things, right? One of them is ask for advice. Um, so explain what you're trying to do and get, get feedback. Um, that's a great way to, to kind of break the ice because people love to be helpful, um, and love to, 
to give advice that makes them feel good about themselves. Um, but you can also show up to these to these hubs and add value, right? Um, you know, teach something um, about what you do, um, and you know, or offer offer a little bit of free help, not you know, tons of free work or anything like that, but like offer to give people some feedback for free. Um, those kinds of things work wonders. Okay, interesting. Um, so another one of my concerns is that you know, my skills aren't good enough because, you know, I'm more SEO and marketing, but for like WordPress and Shopify development, I'm a little rusty there. So is there anything I can do to improve my skills to a point where like, yeah, I can definitely build something for you? Got it. Yeah. And I, I, that's a great question. I think there's, there's sort of two, um, there's two ways to think about this, right? One of them is that if you know how to do anything that someone else doesn't know how to do, right? Chances are you can add value, right? You don't have to be a world-class expert at every single thing, um, right? There's a lot of people who don't know basic HTML um, or don't know the first thing about SEO. Um, And so, you know, if you've got some kind of skill, um, chances are there are clients out there who need your help. Um, and I think that's important for, for folks to remember. Um, you know, I, I work with a lot of freelancers who have kind of that feeling of imposter, imposter syndrome and that concern, like, Hey, I can't, I can't start selling anything until I do way, way more, um, you know, and add, add all these skills and nine times out of 10, that's really not the case. Um, you know, if you've been doing things for a few years, you probably can add quite a bit of value. Um, so I think that's the first point, but the, the second point is getting good at learning new skills quickly. Um, and I think, um, one of the, one of the ways to do that, um, actually there's a great book by, by a guy named Josh Kaufman called the first 20 hours. Um, and the idea behind the book is how you learn any skill, um, quickly, right. In 20 hours or less, um, so that you're good enough right? So that you can do it proficiently. Um, not so you can, you know, be a world-class expert at it, but so that you can make meaningful progress um, and, and help people do better. Um, and, and what I've found is um, that approach works really, really well. Um, you know, I've, I've coached a lot of, you know, developers who want to learn, you know, just enough UX design to be dangerous, right? So that if there's not a designer on the project, they can make the, um, the site look you know, reasonably good and, and be reasonably easy to use, right? Um, or who want to start to learn a little bit of conversion rate optimization, because knowing, knowing how to do some of that um, means they can charge more than they would if they were, you know, kind of just a developer, um, right? And so I think that's the second piece is, is start to think strategically about it um, and, and really define like, well, what does success mean? Right, because chances are um, it's not going to be like, oh, I I'm good enough when I've been doing this for five years, right? It's more like if I can get this specific result, right? Like if I can launch this type of site um, or build this type of feature, um, then you know, then I'll feel confident that you know I'm offering enough, right? Um, and that kind of approach you can usually accomplish much more quickly. Than you would with like kind of like a traditional curriculum or like a, a boot camp or that kind of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, thank you. Um, so we were talking about this before, but 
one of my biggest concerns is insurance. And this is mostly for US-based um, freelancers. Um, so how would you go about getting insurance as a freelancer? Yeah, so I think there's there's a couple of different ways to do it. Um, I, number one, um, like if you're still working full time, um, you know, don't worry about that um, until until you're ready to make the jump. Um, you know, also if you've got a, a spouse who's got a full time job, um, like that's that's what I do. My you know my wife um, has the insurance for our family, um, but prior to us getting married. Um, basically what I did was go on the, you know, the local, um, healthcare exchange in Massachusetts and, and pick a plan. Um, pretty much every state, I think actually every single state has one like that. Um, you know, a healthcare exchange that you can go and, um, get health insurance, right. And there's different plans. Um, you know, some of them are like very low cost and high deductible. Um, so take a look at what your needs are. Um, but that's kind of the approach, um, that, that you should be thinking about. Um, it's pretty easy these days to get insurance in a way it did, you know, used to be 20 years ago. Um, you know, I think that's a, one of the nice things about, um, you know, these exchanges, you literally just go and sign up. Um, and you know, they walk you, they walk you through it, um, in, in a fairly easy to use interface. Okay. Cool. Good to know. Um, that kind of piggybacking off that question, because that's related. But uh, what challenges uh, did you face while growing your business? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think, honestly, like the, the biggest challenges I faced um, were in those kind of core areas that we just talked about, right? Um, you know, when I first started out, I worked with some some companies that were much more in that sort of mom and pop area. Um, and, you know, the, the challenge there was like, those clients were not all that well informed. Right. Um, and so I had to do tons and tons of handholding um, that I didn't necessarily account for when I, you know, um, proposed those projects, right. And, and priced them. Um, and it meant like, you know, explaining things like, here's why designing for mobile is important. Right. Um, things that, you know, if you're a web developer or designer, you take for granted and you, you know, if you've worked in a professional setting, you assume kind of people take for granted. Right. Um, and just explaining the differences and how, you know, how development projects work. Right. Um, and, you know, all of that is like, there's nothing wrong with those clients inherently. Um, but it means, you know, spending tons and tons of time handholding. It means lots of like kind of last minute changes in scope and other things that I think can just make freelancing really feel like a grind, um, you know, and feel much more like a nine to five job than, than what you're, you know, probably hoping it would be. Um, so I think that was probably the biggest challenge, right? Was how do I, who are the right clients and how do I meet more of them? Um, you know, the trying, trying to land jobs on, on places like Upwork, um, you know, or, or social media, that kind of thing. Those were big challenges. Um, early on, um, I had a, a substantially more client turnover. Um, these days, I pretty much, you know, never have a client turnover. It's like, you know, happens once every couple of years, basically. Um, but I think those were some of the big challenges. Like, how do you meet the right people? Um, how do you keep your income steady? Um, retainer agreements are a great 
um, solution to that, right? Looking for clients who are going to have a regular ongoing need rather than just a single one-off project. Um, those, I think, are the, the things that, that your listeners are most likely to run into. Um, you know, that might say, like, how do you price things? How do you set expectations? Um, those are the big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so any advice on how to price yourself and when to raise your rates? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think ultimately, um, what I recommend is, is that pricing should be a conversation. Um, but in order to go have that conversation with your client, you need to know kind of what your, um, non-negotiables are, right? Ultimately there's like three main ways to price anything. If you look at kind of like classic pricing theory, right? Um, There's market-based pricing, which, you know, says like, all right, look at what everybody else is charging and try to charge based on that, right? Um, The challenge there is, you know, if you look at the market, you'll realize there's, you know, people overseas willing to charge $5 an hour for a project, right? And there's, you know, really big agencies in, in, you know, New York or LA or San Francisco um, who charge, you know, $5,000 $5,000 an hour for a project, right? Um, challenge, you know, chances are that you just saying, okay, well, I'm going to split the difference between those two um, is not right. The right way to price yourself. Um, so, you know, that there's, there's a little bit of a weakness to that type of pricing. Um, another common way to price is what's called cost plus pricing, right? Where you basically take your costs um, you know, which, you know, for a freelancer is like, you know, the cost of rents and, and health insurance and, um, you know, saving for retirement, that kind of thing. Right. And then you add some, some amount of plus, right. Some, some margin to that. Right. Um, and that's, you know, most typically used by, um, companies that sell, you know, physical goods, um, you know, like a McDonald's or a Starbucks, right. Selling coffee, um, you know, the, the costs are the beans and the water and, you know, the electricity it takes to keep the lights on and, and paying the people who prepare it. Right. Um, but the, you know, question there is, well, like how much margin um, do you, do you add on top of that? Right. And, um, you know, Starbucks can command a certain amount of amount that McDonald's can't because ostensibly at least the brand is better, right. Coffee is supposedly better. Whether that's true is, you know, up to your listeners to decide, but like, um, you know, obviously it's a little bit arbitrary as well. Um, the third way, main way of pricing is what's called, um, value-based pricing, right? Where you, you know, you literally charge based on how much value you provide for your customer. Right. Um, and in consulting, um, it's typically used by, um, really large consulting firms, right? You're, um, Deloitte's, your um, Boston consulting groups, where they can calculate to the penny, right? Like how much um, revenue they've increased or, or a cost they have saved um, for their client. And they take, you know, some percentage of that. Um, the challenge there is obviously um, you're not a giant consulting firm and there's a lot of risk with that, right? Um, if you're client chooses to shut down the project or change direction or whatever else, you could get paid nothing. Um, so, you know, all of those kind of have their weaknesses. So what I recommend doing is basically triangulating between the three of them, right? And so you say, all right, I'm going to use my costs as a baseline, 
right? I know I have to absolutely make at least, you know, X dollars an hour um, in order for this project to be worth it to me, right? Um, I will use um, market-based pricing, um, you know, as kind of like the top top line, right? I, obviously, I can't charge any more than, um, you know, the, the top tier um, agencies would charge, right? Anything beyond that would be absurd. And, you know, as a freelancer, maybe even charging close to that might be, um, you know, a little bit silly and get you kind of laughed out of a room, right? Um, but then what I'll use is the value based on the project to kind of help push me as far as I can go in that in that high direction, right? Um, and so, you know, when you get on the phone with a client, right? The first thing you wanna do is understand why why this project, right? Like, let's say they wanna, they wanna build a new um, Shopify theme, right? Like, what are they trying to accomplish, right? Are they trying to increase revenue because their conversion rates aren't that great? Are they trying to decrease costs? Um, you know, maybe it takes them forever to up, do any updates on the website. And so they're spending a lot of money on like marketing staff trying to make updates that don't work very well. Right. And then based on that, okay. Like if it's trying to, to increase revenue, like what's their revenue now, what's their conversion rate now and starting to build a business case, like, okay, like they're at a 1% conversion rate. I think we could easily get them to a 2% conversion rate. And this would be worth, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars a month for them, right? Using that to start to justify your rates, right? So so ultimately, I think it is a conversation between you and your clients, but you want to come prepared to say like, okay, like this is, you know, this is what the market would charge, right? Here's the range of prices. This is how much value this is going to generate for you. So I think a fair price would be this. Mm, interesting. Okay. And I always find that... Uh... In business, even you get what you pay for. So like, if you want to charge $5,000 an hour, well, that business is going to expect you to bring $5,000 an hour. And, you know, you're going to be working 24 hours for them. Right, right. I, th I think that's absolutely true. And, and I think that's part of it too, right, is, is educating your clients on what they need and what the kind of options out there are. Right. And so, you know, oftentimes when I have a conversation on price, um, I'll, I'll talk to the client, um, particularly those who are kind of newer to this, about the range of options they're likely to find. Right. OK, like you can find somebody on Upwork to do this for 20 bucks an hour. Um, this is likely what you're going to get from them. Right. You could also find an agency that's going to charge five thousand dollars an hour. Right. Chances are you don't actually need all of the things they're going to do. Right. Um, so let's talk about that business goal. Right. Like, OK, it's increasing revenue. Here are the things that I think are going to be most effective in doing that of, you know, all the things you could potentially do. Right. And starting to talk through and negotiate based on the scope of the project rather than just on the like dollar amount. Right. Um, and then you can find a way to sort of back into the number that you're trying to hit, um, you know, internally based on what their budget is. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so we haven't really talked about freelance GPS. So let's talk about that. What is it? And um, what do you do for freelancers in the business? Yeah. Yeah. So um, freelance GPS um, is, you know, my, my web website and um, coaching business. 
Um, so I coach about um, 10,000 um, current and aspiring freelancers um, through my weekly newsletter. Um, I also have um, a series of free courses on how to either you know start a new freelancing business or grow your existing freelance business. Um, and I also do one-on-one coaching um, with with some freelancers, um, you know, to help them kind of work through all the steps of either starting or growing their businesses. Okay. Um, I just saw an email about a blueprint. So what exactly is the blueprint? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I've got, I've got a paid course, um, called the, the freelance marketing blueprint. Um, basically it takes you through, um, in, in detail, step-by-step kind of everything we've sort of talked through, um, today about how to, you know, meet your ideal clients. Um, you know, here's how you find the places they're hanging out. Here's how you identify, um, other freelancers who already know your clients who could introduce you. Um, here's what you say to them. Right. Um, you know, and so it's got, um, scripts and worksheets and basically everything that I kind of had to develop for myself, um, to get this, um, you know, marketing engine growing for my own freelance business. Okay. Interesting. Uh, as soon as we finish here, I'm going to go get that. Awesome. (laughs) Um, all right. So where can people find you? Yeah, so um, people can find me find me at freelancegps.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, you know, for folks um, in the U.S. and Canada, um, I'm happy to and, and the U.K. Um, happy to also do a free strategy stri- session. Um, if you sign up for for my mailing list, you'll get instructions on how to do that. Not basically. Um, you know, spend an hour with you talking about um, either your current business or the one you're hoping to start um, and, and basically help put together a, a personalized roadmap, um, you know, and game plan for how you can get where you're trying to go. Um, and that's, that's uh, you know, completely free for anybody who wants to do it. Um, if you are interested in talking through coaching um, on that call, we can talk about that too. Um, but it's kind of a um, you know, no obligation kind of conversation. And, um, basically it's just my way of giving back because I've had, um, the benefit of, of having folks, you know, coach and mentor me through my journey as well. All right. Very cool. Tim, thank you so much. I personally learned a lot here, so I hope my listeners learned a lot here. Um, thank you everyone for listening. I will put links to everything in the show notes. Uh, Have a nice day. Bye.